amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. In days gone by, it might have been considered a backward step to go from adapting Shakespeare to adapting a video game. Not anymore. With this week's guest, Justin Kurzel, having done just that. Following his hugely well-received take on Macbeth, the Australian director has now turned his attention to Assassin's Creed, a movie based on the video game franchise that has sold well over 100 million copies worldwide. Both projects are scored by his brother Jed and both star one of the actors of the moment, Michael Fassbender. At 6pm yesterday evening, you were executed and pronounced dead. You no longer exist. What kind of prison is this? It's not a prison. You're about to enter the Animus. What you're about to see, hear and feel are the memories of your ancestor, who's been dead for 500 years. Your past. I'm Edith Bowen, and you're listening to Soundtracking, my weekly foray into the world of screen music with directors, writers, actors, and musicians. In the 21st century, our brief applies as much to games as it does to film. Not only is the Assassin's Creed series fully scored by the likes of Jesper Kidd and Winifred Phillips, but one of the trailers features a cover of Everybody Wants to Rule the World by New Zealand vocal sensation Lord. They're more than just hackathons too, with big ideas about morality, science, history and fate driving the narrative. Plenty then for Justin to draw inspiration from when transforming the games into a cinematic experience. Justin Carlson, it's an absolute pleasure to spend some time talking about your wonderful films. First up, the new one, Assassin's Creed. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. I kind of watched it bemused and bewildered and completely entertained by it, but where did you start with the film? A lot of it came from, I guess, the first conversations with Michael Fassbender. He'd approached me when I was editing Macbeth, sort of said, oh, I'm working on Assassin's Creed, this crazy big video game adaption. And I was like, oh, right. I was really surprised that he was doing it. <laughs> and, and then, uh, actually, another friend of mine, Mike Leslie, was also writing it, and he'd done an adaptation for Macbeth so I was kind of hearing the challenges of adapting it and then Michael asked me will I be interested in it which I was kind of shocked and surprised and I kind of never really sort of saw myself venturing into such a scale film yeah but he, he just, Michael just sat there and passionately started talking about genetic memory and the idea of a central character that I guess is awoken by these memories and these skills that are passed over by his ancestors mm -hmm. and started describing the idea of blood never dying and the fact that our instincts perhaps come from the experiences of those that have come before us and I just sort of thought that's a great idea for a film. <laughs> <I> <laughs> and, mean... goes, and it's Assassin's Creed and I was like, what? <laughs> Thank you. 
introduced me to Assassin's Creed, and I, I remember seeing the posters. They were everywhere. Yeah, they were everywhere. It's, it's a, a huge part of popular culture. Yeah, it? it is, and there's a real look to those guys in the posters and stuff that you lean into, you're kind of interested in. I'd never played the game, yeah. but I was definitely aware of the kind of brand and the, and the look of them. And then we just sort of started uh, working on the script. No, it was a very back-to-front way in which I came. <laughs> like it wasn't, it wasn't like I went into a studio or Ubisoft and they said, you know, here's the checklist and you've got to do this. I don't know, it was really independent. It didn't feel that different from adapting Macbeth. Welcome to your life. There's no turning back. Well, that's what I think is so wonderful about it is that, I mean, I never played the game before. I'm not a big gamer at all. Yeah. You have that world almost kind of waiting for it, you know, that love that whole franchise already sort of thing. It's a complete standalone thing. It doesn't mm. feel like it's got any connection to a computer game when you watch because it's got so many human aspects to it. You know, I think a lot of that came from all the conversations we had with Ubisoft were really about blades and, you know, kind of leaps of faith and stuff. They were really about, really big issues about violence and about violence in today's world and about violence within your genes and, and, yeah. and then about sort of debates and discussion about sort of assassins and Templars and their ideologies and what free will is and what assassins are really kind of fighting for and yeah. the idea of sort of Templars sort of coming from this sort of elite, sophisticated society that believe humanity is kind of corrupt and need need to follow and they have these kind of uh, ambitious desires to have science sort of change the world and, and I don't know the discussions were much richer than I was having on even my previous two films and I was really <laughs> genuinely surprised. I was born surrounded by injustice but raised in privilege. My mother was a slave. My father a man of opportunity and wealth. When my people were robbed of their humanity, I watched. And when the masters brought tyranny to this land, I understood that I would need to become a symbol of hope for the broken. A liberator of the enslaved. And an assassin. Who seeks justice for all. And I think that that genuine interest, you know, throughout the film of the kind of bigger issues that the game, in such a complex and interesting way, discusses, um, I, I think really surprised me. 
it wasn't a shoot 'em up type feel. It was it was very much a kind of culture that I was introduced to in Assassin's Creed that I suddenly understood it wasn't about the gameplay. It wasn't about just killing people in these games. There was a, a real relationship with um, history, um, with ideologies and with ideas that a lot of the young gamers were, were really connecting to. incredibly important as well. The way that it starts with 15th century Spain and then through the power of music you remind us that this film crosses centuries. It sounds a bit Zeppelin-ish but it's a really clever time travel yeah. tool almost. Was that yeah. deliberate? Yeah it was. It was sort of sitting in, a, in the 80s in Mexico and kind of seeing Cal as a young boy and Jed, my brother, who composed the film, and I were listening to a lot of Led Zeppelin and, and uh, Hendrix and early Stones, and we're just sort of wanting a, a very, very kind of particular sound. We actually looked at a lot of music, and this one sort of Black Angels song kept on coming back. That was obviously contemporary, but seemed to embody a kind of mm. spirit of uh, a particular time in music that felt right visually for the film um, at the beginning. Oh, of the, the narrative because it's on in the radio on the radio when when um, Carl goes in the house but then yeah. Michael has to give us this particular rendition of it in yeah. the film. Yeah, um, yeah. Was it easy to decide on what that track was going to be? Yeah, I mean, I think it did come from sort of state of mind and I think we all kind of loved that song and Michael was really interested in using it because of the nostalgia of it but also he did really just love the literal state of mind. We were quite fascinated by people when they experience certain traumatic things that certain details stick and we definitely wanted at the beginning of the film to have a particular song that sat in the subconscious of the character but then also sort of played with the notion of him losing his mind as he's experiencing these images of his ancestors coming back to haunt him, that Michael would keep going back to that original trauma and use that as a blanket, I guess, to get himself through certain moments. Crazy, I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. For thinking that my love could hold you I'm crazy for trying And crazy for crying And I'm crazy for loving you 
your brother on the music side of things of this relationship that you've had throughout all your films with him how did that decision start pretty organic Jeb was a fantastic tennis player he would have been amazing he was kind of heading towards Wimbledon land but he decided just to drop it in terms of music and sort of attacked music and playing the guitar and the same way he kind of uh, attacked being a great sportsman and <laughs> so for six years Jeb would be stuck in his room just listening to music and playing music and then he moved to Sydney and he wanted to start a band and he didn't have a bass player and I said well I'll buy a bass and, and we'll just sort of start a band and we did and that's how our relationship started with music I inadvertently became part of his band and we were a three piece there and then I was hopeless at the bass and <laughs> hopeless at the lifestyle of being in a band and gave it up and fortunately Jed went on and created the Mess Hall which is a two piece band and they became extremely successful in Australia and around the world Man will trade nothing for your flesh tonight not a lonely dancing tour The girls will dance in black and white And dream in gold You'll be traveling home Calling from some old telephone I went off then and started my directing career and really I mean, my first foray into directing was doing Jed's music clips, you know, for his band. So we've had a very close, intimate relationship. So when I kind of went on to do Snowtown, I'd been hearing all these things Jeb was doing on his own and that no one else was sort of hearing that were really cinematic pieces yeah. that were sort of sitting outside the mess hall. And so I knew that he had this incredible composer uh, inside him. And, uh, yeah, as soon as I did Snowtown, I, I kind of asked him to, to, to do it. And, um, you know, thankfully he said yes. I keep having this dream where I wake up in my bed and all I can hear is this yapping. I go in the hall and I see this guy sitting in a chair. He's got a cap on and his head's down so I can't see his face. I yell at him but the guy won't look at me and the yapping is getting louder and louder. Sitting inside. 
about his neck, looking back at me, yapping, yapping at me. Amazing partnership to have. It's pretty amazing kind of being brothers and there's no one else I trust more creatively and Jed's got the most insane taste. and and knowledge of music and film and everything. We're very lucky that we can sort of be family but also creatively sort of dig each other. How much do you ask of him or do you leave it up to him for his interpretation of things? He's very instinctive. Jed really works from the images that come through. I mean, I've got a relationship with Jed that is pretty crazy. Like, Jed comes on really early on my films and ends up getting paid nothing by the time he sort of, <laughs> you know, works on it for a year with, you know, a hundred different samples that he's sort of done for me. I'm very lucky in that I get to see an enormous amount of work come through to test it over the images and the relationship really is defined not by spotting a film but by just organically kind of living it over a period of time. arguing about something or or just listening to a whole lot of stuff or Jed just kind of goes down a whole new track. I remember on Macbeth, I mean, he must have scored that film three times, four times, wow. you know, but the first score was all electronic and I still think it's fantastic, but it was, it just wasn't quite sitting. But that then evolved into working with, with the LCO and, and this other sort of texture and world. A lot of it's sort of a trial and error and a lot of it's just sort of sort of taking in the oxygen of the film yeah. and allowing the images, you know, Jed has a very strong relationship with Adam Arkapoor and he anticipates now what Adam's shooting and the kind of tone and feel of it. So, I don't know, there's not a hell of a lot of talking, we'll, we'll talk a little bit, but it's a lot of playing. soundtrack yesterday actually just to remind me of it being Scottish I almost feel like I'm in generations past of my ancestors listening yeah. to traditional music 
It's really subtle in the way that he weaved that into the soundtrack. It adds to the beauty of that film, yeah. which I think is a piece of art. It's just gorgeous. Oh, thank you, yeah. I think it's why it took us so long to kind of get to where we did with Macbeth, because I think we were sort of for trying to force something onto it that it didn't want to be. And then we had a real breakthrough when we started to just really engage with the notion and the idea of the soundtrack feeling as though it could be played, you know, and that you could play it live and that it felt as though perhaps it shadowed the materials and the textures, not only in the landscape, but also in the weaponry and in that village of Inverness. kind of gypsy type um, world that we kind of created um, that felt very boned and ancient that somehow that could sort of feed into the kind of sound of the film. It was really interesting when Jed started working with the LCO we did a lot of improvisations yeah. that were kind of rhythmic impro improvisations but and, and percussive but also just trying to find sounds that felt found you know yeah. that felt as though they were kind of coming out of almost the tools and, and the environment yeah. of, of the film. Scotland. I mean, you know, I remember the first trips I did to Sky, and you just believe there are witches in the, 
in, in the landscape. There's no, there's no, um, you know, and I think also just the enormity of that landscape. It was interesting, you know, Jed and I both coming from Australia and landscape being a, a hugely important thing to us. Yeah. You drive in Australia for three days to get to one place to the other and, you know, you listen to a lot of music and stare out into a bare, barren landscape quite a bit. So you, you it's weird, you, you kind of start to get it really in tuned with sort of the sound of something that you sort of see especially landscape wise and Scotland was definitely that there was a certain sort of musicality about that landscape that really started to sort of define kind of what what the film could be interesting because you can very easily do a concept on Shakespeare you know I think you go to many theatre productions it's either contemporary or it's whatever or they're all dressed in yellow or whatever <laughs> and, and, it, and it kind of becomes quite tired and I think it was something really lovely about you know kind of going back to the source of what these words were describing these beautiful poetic words were describing and, and being able to visually show it on screen um, you know was, was, was really something. big drives with your brother what would you guys listen to back in Australia oh, just good Aussie rock like you know ACDC cold <laughs> chisel birthday party you know Jed and I are huge um, Australian music fans and especially at a particular period when we were sort of growing up that yeah. had a huge influence on our, the music that we listened to I remember being slightly obsessed with Midnight Oil yeah Midnight, Midnight Oil was huge yeah. Yeah, Red Sails in the Sunset and um you know, the Triffids and yeah. the Saints, you know, there, there was some... Um, yeah, Big a scene. Pretty, it's a huge scene. That sort of scene, late 70s, early 80s, in, in Australian rock music, you know, I mean, ACDC, you know, one of the most extraordinary bands you know, in the world, sort of came from the blood, sweat and tears of suburbia Australia and, and kind of, you know, created a very, very distinct sound.
Jed has this great thing about the way birds sound in every country and, and, and sort of, you know, and, and it kind of, you know, like when you hear birds here, they're always very polite but, and they're very <laughs> beautiful. In Australia, birds sound just so raucous and like they're being hit or something that the squeals and the squawks are so aggressive they don't even sound like birds and it's fascinating how music kind of you know um, reflects that you know there's something about the, the brashness yeah. of, of sounds in Australia not only from the animals but but but, but also from the music yeah. that I think is really distinctly connected to, to the landscape. Assassin's Creed talking earlier about that opening scene of being transported to kind of 70s America. When the elements are set in sort of 15th century Spain and stuff, is that something that's important to keep the music true to that cultural environment or do you kind of like to work against that? I think we were working, Jed and I were working against a lot of things in Assassin's. I think, you know, as soon as I asked him to do it, he said, oh God, not one of those big films where the music just sounds like it's something you've heard a hundred times before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, da -da. like we actually had a particular rhythm that you can sort of track through. It's interesting, you know, I think that there are a lot of big budget films at the moment that if you ask what's the theme mm -hmm. of that film, it would be very hard to kind of replay it because I think everything feels as though it's there to support the action. And I think Jed and I were really determined to sort of, I, I guess, just find something, especially within the action, that that was a really tricky thing that was sort of stripped back and it felt much more like the pulse of what it would be to be an assassin, the rhythm and the swagger of what it would be to be an assassin. And the confidence as well yeah. it really comes across. Yeah. yeah, you know, that when a beat came in, you know, you were kind of like, yes, I want to sort of feel that and <laughs> yeah. be that, um, as, as opposed to just a kind of noise.
And it's interesting, you know, we, we never, ever do, um, uh, what are they called? Um, temp scores. Temp scores. Yeah. And we did one for this. And we both hated it. Absolutely okay. hated it. And it's hard because you're trying to kind of communicate the first cut, but we just couldn't stand it. There's something awful about using someone else's work on your on your own. You just feel sort of dirty. But it also but it also um, is incredibly distracting for the composer. It kind of sets up an expectation for everyone that watches the film yeah. that that's what it's going to be. And then it also distracts the composer. And Jed and I have sort of sworn never ever to kind of do it again. I think I forced myself into doing it this time because I thought oh, gee, I have to because what am I going to put with the action and what's it going to be like if there's nothing on there yeah. and Jeb was still developing it. But I'll never do it again. We've both kind of sworn that if we do another film together that's of this scale of, of trying to find another way. It almost dictates the pace of the film for you in a way, I guess. Yeah, it does. It, it ends up becoming a music clip. You end up designing the, the images and the narrative to the piece of music that you've got in there mm. rather than the other way around. And I just think it's unfair to the composer. Make It'll it like be, this. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be like me without a marker pool, the cinematographer, me going out and shooting it with a shitty video camera, the whole film, and going here. You know, this is what I want. So I, I, I don't know. I, it's a strange thing. One of the strangest things, and Jed and I talk about it often, but it's definitely something that we, we didn't enjoy. Um, just an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank, thank, you. thank you very much, and, and congratulations once again on Assassin's Creed. Thanks Cheers, so much. Thank Cheers. You. Soundtrack to Assassin's Creed, that's He Says He Needs Me by Young Fathers, featuring 3D from Massive Attack. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Justin Curzo. A huge thanks to Justin for taking the time to talk to us. Now there's a full track list for this show via edithbowman.com where you can also subscribe to this podcast and catch up with every single episode since we launched in August. John Favreau, Ron Howard, Andrew Arnold and Nicholas Winden-Refn are amongst those ready and waiting to tell all about the music in their films. Please, if you can, follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and do share with your friends if you've enjoyed what you've heard. Next up 
is G.E. Biona, who joins me to discuss the music in A Monster Calls, his adaptation of Patrick Ness's award-winning novel, which is garnering rave reviews. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Thank you.